once you've got the basics of what does the pipeline look like, then we're going down into, well, what is our target sector? How does our pipeline align to the target sector? What's our sales velocity look like? Where is our revenue coming from? Is it from new? Is it from expansion? Is it from renewal? Did you know that you're spending, your salespeople are spending X amount of their time on renewals as a strategy? Is that where you as a sales function in an organization want your salespeople to be focused? If it is, then great. But if it's not, I've just given you the information to support either continuing as is or making a change, again, based on trustworthy, reliable data. It all comes back to all the hooks are on that one, having confidence in the data. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today we're joined by Neil Thompson, who's the Global Director of Sales Operations of Corporate Solutions at JLL. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. I would love to first jump into the relatively recent move. So we have some guests on that have like 24 years experience in sales ops. Um, you, I think, are slightly newer to the field. So this is going to be a really good perspective on like jumping in in the last one or two years. Um, but you moved, I believe, from a sales manager into the sales ops role like two years ago. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. And so but before we get into the sales ops stuff, I'd like to understand why this happened. Um. Why did it happen? So I was uh, doing a frontline sales role at the time. Uh, JLL were going through a strategic um, review of the organization. It didn't have a formal sales enablement or sales operations function. And part of that review identified that. Um, So long and short, there were new roles that were created within the corporate solutions uh, division of JLL. Um, and I was asked to if I would be interested in, in standing up and heading up the, um, uh, the regional EMEA um, part of sales operations. Um, my background, I come from a sort of a, a, an analytical, mathematical type of background, um, and it seemed like a, a good opportunity. I, I have two more questions on this topic. Um, first, so did you say that JL in the corporate solutions or in the whole of JLL didn't have a sales ops function before you created just in, just in the corporate solutions um, component. So our, our two main streams are corporate solutions and markets. Um, I can't attest to whether markets have got a uh, mature, established, uh, all singing, all dancing sales ops. But I think with um, most firms, sales ops um, is conducted in some 
form, some shape, some manner off the side of people's desks, but it, it doesn't or didn't have that um, focused attention on it, which I think is what, you know, certainly in the more mature um, organizations and more mature sales functions need to help take those um, uh, sales functions onto the next level. And how many reps were there in corporate solutions before or at the point in which you decided to create the sales function? So um, within, within JLL, within the, the area that I work, so I'm, I'm drawing a distinction between there are many salespeople in the organization and then the um, sales organization within which I work. In EMEA, I would guess there was around, let's go for between 15 to 20. Um, and there would have been around, um, that, that came under the EMEA sales ops banner, around four to five, probably four FTE supporting, um, supporting that complement. Awesome. And then did you volunteer or did someone come to you and ask you to, to be the first sales ops person? Um, somebody came to me and asked me to, to be the first sales ops person in, in EMEA. Um, there was, um, I think that was uh, late, uh, late 18, early 19. I think um, the states were um, a few months ahead of us um, in setting up that capability. But it pretty much was uh, that, sort of, uh, that sort of time scale. Awesome. And why do you think they came to you? I guess you may have already answered this previously when you're saying about your analytical background. Yes, on that. Um, the, uh, the, the gentleman that I was working for at the time, um, I've got a history of working for him for many, many years throughout um, other organizations. So um, he was well aware of uh, my background. Um, one thing that I love about JLL um, is that they do promote from within. They do encourage retention. Um, and so um, my, my boss, the regional head of sales, said, look, uh, Neil, this uh, position is coming on board. I know you. I know your background. I think it's something you'd be great at. Would you be interested? And, uh, and the rest is history, as they say. And it may be off topic, but I love it when I see people moving around their careers with other people, like someone, let's say the boss gets a new job and then he brings people with him because he trusts and likes him. Um, that, that person who recommended you for this, is he like a VP of sales? What's his role? And where, and and which company did you come from before? Um, I, I think anybody can do a quick Google and LinkedIn. So uh, the gentleman in question is Arvel Bunt. So he's a regional, regional head of sales um, for corporate solutions in JLL at the moment. Um, we worked together um, moons ago for Barclays Capital. Um, he was the, um, head of, uh, uh, the regional head of real estate there. I was his COO um, or chief of staff um, uh, in, that, uh, in that position. Um, we parted ways amicably. Um, I wanted to go off and do my own thing. Um, he stayed on, did his own thing, and several years later, um, joined back up again. And it's that, you know, there's an element, I think the saying is people don't work for companies, they work for, for individuals. Um, your boss can make or break your experience at an organization. Um, JLL um, is a fantastic organization. Um, and the opportunity to come and work for Ardell, I didn't know JLL was fantastic at the time, but with four and a bit years under my belt. Um, having spent 20 years in the investment banking industry, to this day, I still go to people there. That's so great. It's, uh, it's really good. So I'm in that fortunate position of um, uh, working for a, well, he's a key stakeholder. He's not my boss anymore. Working for a key stakeholder that I know and have got a good relationship with, um, in addition to working for um, a really good company. 
Who would you say that your other key stakeholders are? Uh, so my other, so um, I took on the regional role and then late 19, early 20, I was asked to step up and do the global role. So my stakeholders now are those regional heads of sales um, and the uh, chief, uh, chief revenue officer, but also um, more so now um, uh, finance becoming increasingly um, prominent in my, uh, in my uh, activities and the department that I want to build up more relationships with. Um, as JLL tries to consolidate um, or get a picture of its clients across its corporate entities, um, it's understanding how corporate solutions interact with markets, interact with technology, finding those cross-collaboration opportunities, getting that one view of a client so that we can become uh, more client-centric. And for want of a better description, understand what we as a company do with our clients instead of it being this department has a relationship, this department has a relationship, and this department has a relationship. Well, how can you bring those relationships together to make the, uh, uh, the whole greater than the sum of the parts, as it were? And also find opportunities for up, up or cross, cross sales, maybe? 100%, 100%, yeah. The holistic view of the client, I think that could be a good episode title. Um, I would like to, to focus in a bit more on JLL. The... It would be great to understand just the amount of reps you're currently working with in corporate solutions, and then also the your your tech stack, if possible. Yeah. So um, number of reps globally. Um, so frontline salespeople is going to be in the region of about sixty to seventy. Um, and a question you you commonly ask is, well, what is the sales ops complement to support that? So um, including so I I manage a team of eight individuals, um, and they're spread out globally. Um, uh, India, Poland, America, and and the UK. So it kind of fits that almost one sales rep for every ten um, uh, uh, salesperson that you have. Um, in terms of our tech stack, we're currently um, uh, migrating from one CRM. Well, I'll, I'll, um, we're currently migrating from Microsoft Dynamics um, to Salesforce. So um, we, as sales ops, are are leading uh, that uh, migration. Um, and it's going as well as um, most uh, software migrations are going. You expect some problems and issues to come up and some bumps in the road, um, which you you know make provision for. But it's the unexpected unknowns that uh, that give you the real sort of head scratching moments. I can well, I actually can't fathom. Uh, I've never done a big migration like that, but I can understand from other software development uh, application projects that. I, I I understand the the, the um, not the frustration but the the challenges. Let's say. Next up, since you obviously that's a big part of your team's time at the moment, I reckon. But what are there, are there any other big projects that you have either completed in twenty twenty one or are working on now? Yeah. Um, so the the first thing that we we focused on was building the trust and confidence and reliability in the data. At the end of the day, um, I see sales ops as that function that is enabling those sales leaders to make um, data-driven decisions. So if you haven't got any confidence in the data, you know you can either pack up and go home or that needs to be your, um, your starting point. So that's what we focused on. And we focused on that heavily um, 19 into 20. Now we've got the the standard reporting. We know with confidence and reliability, 
What have we won? What have we lost? What's in our pipeline? We've got consistency over sell stages. We've got a structured, consistent methodology that is globally applied. So when we're doing multi-regional opportunities or indeed working with other sales teams still within CS, you know, one person's prospect is another person's prospect. We're not cross uh, cross wires. So we're at that stage now where our monthly sales reports are trustworthy. Okay, they're now automated. Um, key stakeholders um, are not questioning the data quality. They're now consuming um, what's being put in front of them. That's kind of you know ticking the box number one. Now, which is the really exciting stuff that uh, I'm looking to get into is, as I say to my team, I'm looking for you guys to be creative with numbers. I'm looking for you guys to tell the story. I'm looking for you guys to, um, it's that did you know to the sales leaders. So we are developing and maturing sales ops function. Did you know that X percent of your time is spent chasing Y percent of your revenue? Did you know that your strategic goals in these sectors are not aligned to your pipeline, or they are as the case, or, 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 or they are as the case may be. So there's that. Once you've got the basics of what does the pipeline look like, then we're going down into, well, what is our target sector? How does our pipeline align to the target sector? What's our sales velocity look like? Um, what are the, you know, where is our revenue coming from? Is it from new? Is it from expansion? Is it from renewal? Did you know that you're spending, your salespeople are spending X amount of their time on renewals as a strategy? Is that where you as a sales function in an organization want your salespeople to be, um, to be focused? If it is, then great. But if it's not, I've just given you the information to support either continuing as is or making a change, again, based on trustworthy, reliable data. It all comes back to all the hooks are on that one, having confidence in the data. This totally makes sense because it's almost like elevating the sales ops function from just a, like, not a button pushing organization, but just like the routine stuff to actually being like the most valuable person in the sales forecasting meeting. Um, Question though, it, it, as you mentioned, you're encouraging your team to start telling the story with data. Is this just a cultural thing within the team or is there any other process or like tool that you could uh, put in place to help the, your team do this more effectively? Or have you thought about that yet? Yeah, so I think it comes down to the individuals. Um, you know, it is, um, it is a skill, it is an art. Um, and you've got to have that, well, I believe you don't have to, but... I believe you, you've got to have that genuine curiosity in the data. Um, I asked one of, one of my team, um, it, it wasn't as simple as, but it was along the lines of, um, I've had a thought, um, what portion of our pipeline or wins is down to multi-regional opportunities as opposed to regional opportunities? So, you know, my team member has taken that away and he's come back and he's answered the question and he's broken it down by division and he's broken it down by new expansion renewal and he's broken it down by industry sector. So, you know, I kind of articulate it as we're on a destination, we're on a journey, excuse me. We don't necessarily know the destination and we're going to take a few turns, we're going to hit a few cul-de-sacs, we're going to do some investigation that's not going to tell us anything interesting. So a big thing that I have is, so what? Just because you can tell me that pigs drive Ferraris on a Friday, what do you expect me to do with that? 
Where is the value in it? What change can we effect as a result of that? Now, if you're, if you're going to tell me that, you know, um, you know, the, we have, we have um, global quotas of X, but our average deal size is Y, and you've got to do a thousand of those deal sizes to meet that quota, then, well, you know, that's not going to work. So that's something worth exploring. And then I use it a lot. It's taking it back to the sales leaders and going, did you know? Did you know that you're not aligned? Did you know that your sales velocity is too long or short? Did you know that you're targeting the wrong sort of clients in the wrong sort of areas? So a lot of it is um, that education. I think there's an element of um, our sales leaders drinking from a fire hose with the information that we are now able to bring to the table. And the tricky part from my perspective is I've got all of this stuff that I think is valuable that I want you to consume now, which are the small, which are the small bite-sized chunks that are actually going to resonate with you. Because if I give you everything, the important stuff is just going to get lost. Awesome. Now I'm going to hand over to my co-host Alex, who has a couple more questions. Thank you. Thanks, Tom and Neil. Yeah, really, really interesting. I think I want first want to touch on the thing you said earlier on about. Um, Obviously, one, your your head of operations for the, for the corporate team, and then there's the two other sides. Is it markets and tech? Is that is that right? Yeah. So you got corporate solutions, technology, markets, um, and there's some other silos as well. But principally, those three. Got you. Great. And then you said how how are you going to bring relationships together from the different departments and essentially focus on that seamless customer experience, so that it's not now I have my my, my corporate <laughs> solutions rep calling me up and yeah and, and any, any suggestions and, and tips, anything you found really helpful as you tried to, to sort that out? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure JLL isn't the only organization that has um, expanded and grown and you know, acquired organizations with their own systems, their own way of doing things. And suddenly, well, not even suddenly, but you do have that disparate view. Systems don't join up and the person sitting next to you doesn't know what the person over there is doing. And what do you mean you're talking to that client? I just went and saw them last week. And it all, not at all, but technology has a very, very large part to play in that. Um, at the moment, as I said before, we're looking to consolidate from one CRM platform, sorry, from multiple CRM platforms onto one CRM. Um, this is going to be part of a multi-year project. JLL is a global, a large global firm um, to get everybody operating off the same platform where you can start to exchange information, have visibility, join the dots between markets who are investor side and corporate solutions, which are, which are our occupier side. You know, there, there are opportunities between the two. But if we don't know who they're speaking to, then how do we um, identify that? So, you know, in the first instance, being able to have all that data in one place so you can start to connect the dots um, is, uh, is, is the first step on that journey. And as sales operations, I want to do the, did you know that this group did X amount of business with them over there and we don't provide these services that we might benefit from? Here's a contact that you might want to go and speak to. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of things, um, actually using, using, um, EBSTA to help people really understand their relationships with, you know, 
not just different people in the business, but you said different departments within within your business so that you can really have that unified function. That's definitely something near and dear to my heart. And and um, yeah, not not just, it's really interesting because I've, I've done it more almost in a sales to sort of CS, especially in marketing, sort of that flow across the go-to-market teams, not necessarily so much in the department sense, although a bit of that too. So just interesting to hear your perspective there. And yeah, I can absolutely see that one CRM have all the data in the same same format so that you know you know what everyone's looking at be a really helpful step and um yes obviously a, a big big project as you as you alluded to um with the, with the migration um i do want to ask a bit about that how um how how much longer do you think you've got to go with your migration how, how's that going i i think the thing that stood out for me is um the volume of people that are involved behind the scenes um it just blows me away um, uh, I've got a, an extremely capable uh, lady in the States leading the change management side of things. Um, and I'll be honest with you, um, I underestimated the, um, the scope, the time and the effort and the importance of the change management side. It is, um, it's massive and a critical um, component um, of that. Um, regarding the migration, um, you know, the, the team are working tirelessly on, you know, first of all, uh, the, the data mapping, the rules. Um, we're in um, mock run three of four, um, migrating from uh, target system to source system, heavily into the UAT. Uh, we've got a go live um, uh, not uh, not too many weeks away. Um, and you know things are look, there are known uh, known knowns and unknowns out there as well, and we're just. Um, working through them at the moment. But, you know, the, the team have been absolutely fantastic um, in their dedication and commitment uh, to it. So um, looking forward to looking forward to the output, but also being realistic that um, we will go live um, with Salesforce and through no fault of anybody, um, there will be expected teething problems. Um, and we, you know, I think the first thing is acknowledging that you're not going to get it perfect. Nobody gets it perfect. It just doesn't happen. Um, and making sure that we put all the necessary checks and balances to minimize any noise, to make sure that um, user or customer experience is as best as it can be. Yeah, no, brilliant. That, that sounds that's very exciting and um, such a big, big process. It sounds like you're, you're going pretty impressive speed. And um, yeah, all the best as as you get close to that <laughs> that go live. And um, Thank you. But it sounds like... Indeed, you've, you're, you're heading it up well and you've got the team um, running it well. So sounds like it's, um, yeah, all very positive. And as you said, always going to be some problems, but you work through them as, it, as you go. The other thing that, that really, um, well, a number of things to have, but another thing that was also, I, I loved your, your thought about or the way you described being, you know, wanting creativity in your team and the importance of telling the story, um, both the, the, the did you know and then also the so what was the implication. Um, and... Yeah, I think it's a fantastically important skill. Um, it's one that probably we don't educate for very well in the school system because it's, it's all so optimized to, to grades and therefore problem solving and creativity has been something crushed out. And so I imagine it's it's probably almost a universal problem. Like there's lots of people who are good at maths, right? You know, or good at, you know, and, and good at numbers and, and data in a sense. But the real value is indeed, as you said, it's telling the story what, and, and distilling it down so that you're, you're drinking the champagne rather than the, the sort of the polluted water from the fire hose. Um, have you got any tips on how you've been sort of building that in your team or, or hiring for it either, either way? I think I'll take the first one, how I'm building it within my team. It's 
Um, it's challenging them, but constructively challenging them. Um, so, for instance, today one of my team put some data in front of me, and I'm like, "That's that's great. You presented me the data, but add your commentary, add your thoughts. You know, what are your takeaways? What what can you bring to the table?" So um, that that's as point number one. Um, and the the second thing is, I will routinely um, say, "Guys, this is this is great work, but so what." You know, what do you, what do you expect our sales leaders to do it? I mean, as a, uh, um, you know, as a, everybody's got a little bit of a geek inside of them. And I confess to that as well. I love the data. I love the thought process. I love the analytics behind it. But, you know, what's the elevator pitch? Not everybody is passionate about the numbers. Okay. You've got to find something that resonates with your audience. Okay. Your audience are typically looking to sell bigger, better, faster, and more efficiently. So if you can, you know, if you can present that to them, I can increase your revenue by X. I can increase your re- um, your efficiency by Y. Then I think that that is what is going to get you um, um, a voice at the table. I I often use the uh, use the analogy that we're we're like gold diggers. We will sift through mountains and mountains of dirt. And in this example, the dirt is the data. And just to find that one golden nugget um, is, is where the value is at. So, you know, I've been there myself, guys, girls, go and play with the data. Go down those cul-de-sacs. Come back and tell me that, you know, I thought about this and it didn't work. It's like, great, you've shown that curiosity. But I thought about this and look what this has told me. I'm like, Fantastic. So there is the there is the and, but there's the want, desire, and need to be curious about the data um, that I think is um, can be learnt. Um, but I think it's more something. It's just just the way some people are wired. Some people are good at English. Some people are good at math. And I, I in your example, you said you know you asked the guy to go and bring you the multi-market versus single market kind of breakdown or single region breakdown. And, and he came to this one. I mean, I was just thinking, yeah, because it's, you obviously asked that for a reason and probably a, only a partly bait reason if I know anything about running a team because you've had a, you had, you had an idea and you haven't worried about thinking it out. You pass it on. And the fact that he said, oh, look, this is starting to show this. So let me go and break it down this way and see if that changes it. And because you realize that the deliverable you asked for wasn't the end goal in itself. And therefore, it's like, how do we help get closer and closer to that? How do I, as you said, adding your spin, you know, bringing, because yeah, again, among the team, you can all have slightly, you're all going to have slightly different perspectives. And you want the more that you can all chip in, the greater the, the finished product, rather than, you know, Neil is necessarily the best at finding the insights. It's if, if the whole team runs well and feeds it in, and you, you know, you just add, you multiply the value on top of that. Um, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I, I don't have a monopoly on good ideas. Every now and then I'll come up with something that sounds like a good idea or smells like one. But, you know, um, guys, run with it. And, you know, if you've got ideas of yourself, then, then equally. Um, I have a hypothesis at the moment that um, um, the value of opportunities that we're chasing is too small. Um, the response or the retort from the sales team is, oh, yes, but we need to, you know, we need to plant those acorns so that they mature into trees. All right, okay. Kicked off a piece of work. Right, go and speak to finance. Find out whether the acorns that were planted in 18 and 19 
are they, you know, are they saplings that are showing good, good, uh, good health, or have they just stayed as acorns? Because I would, you know, and it's got to be a hypothesis. You've got to let the, you know, you know, you've got to let the the facts come to light. You know, it would be great if I went back to the cells and went, you know, what I had a hypothesis that you were pitching too small. I've spoken to finance, and actually, you need to do more of those small opportunities, or not, as the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's a glamour to big deals as well, and they often are longer and slower. And it's really, as you said, listening to the data, not going with what's going to look good, sound good, not being, as you said, not being afraid to be wrong. All of those things are super valuable. And you know, we've often talked about on the on the show about you know the, the sales team being the, the the customers of the sales ops role, and that you know that they know that if you come to them and say, oh, I didn't didn't I didn't think what you said was right, and I went and looked at the data, and you were right. I, I'm sorry, I really. You know, and as you said, let me let me feed back a little extra bit of gold with it, and then we add some value as well. And that's that's a really good way, and you know, sets up a really good working relationship. So, yeah, we'd love to be able to do, be doing more of that. So, thank you. It's been really helpful. No problem. All right, thank you so much, Neil. I do just want to ask you off the final question before we kick off, uh, which is, who in the world of sales ops would you most like to uh, take for lunch? <laughs> um, this is one of your favorite questions, and I was thinking about it, and. Um, probably nobody in the world of sales ops, um, but um, I'm, I, I, love, I love triathlon, Formula One and motorbikes. And I'm a Schumacher, Rossi and um, Jan Fredino fan. Um, and what they all exhibit, it does tie back, what they all exhibit is marginal gains, continuous improvement. Um, so, you know, who would I like to take to dinner? Um, somebody that, you know, embraces that you know, um, continuous improvement. You know, um, there is always room for improvement. Um, constructively challenged, bigger, better, fa- better, faster, more efficient. So I've, uh, I think I've successfully dodged that question. <laughs> yeah, very, very good work now. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I think the core thing that I would, would like to highlight for the audience here is your your focus on once the, the monthly sales reports are accurate and the sales leaders are consuming them, how else or if you would say, uh, did you know, uh, value add. Uh, and I think that's really, really important for all sales ops people out there to understand and to try to incorporate into the way the way they work. So, Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.